Noble Together, Episode 1, Connecting with Empathy. Noble Together is a podcast designed with you in mind, the parent who wants to partner in their child's education from the classroom to the car line. Our goal is to create conversations that provide shared vocabulary and strategies to help our children thrive. We could do this alone, or we can teach our children to be noble together. Welcome to episode one. I'm your host, Cassie Mason, and today I will be answering the question that is on the forefront of our minds. Well, at least my mind, which is why am I starting a podcast? I'll also share some highlights and personal takeaways from chapter one of Michelle Borba's book, Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. I hope to leave you with some practical ways you can plant seeds of empathy in your home this month. To close, I'll give a sneak peek at next month's podcast and hint at who our special guest will be for episode two. First up, and always the most important question to answer, why? The simple answer, shared vocabulary changes culture. I've been an educator now for more than 20 years, and what has been most powerful is when children hear the same message echoed in different contexts, from the kitchen table to their classrooms and even the gym and PE. Out on the playground, there are lots of mixed messages that are flooding their feed, and I believe the more we can create community around messages that dignify their heart and soul, the more empathetic this next generation will be. Think of this as a virtual book club. We're all reading and pondering ideas from the same book, Each of our first nine episodes together will cover a different chapter from Unselfie. Now today, I'll be kicking things off here with chapter one, but then I'll invite a teacher or member of administration to co-host with me the following episodes. So I hope you're able to read along with us at home. Now at our school, we package the shared vocabulary each year in something that we call our thematic goal. This year's thematic goal is be good to each other and noble together. This is our rallying cry, our mantra, our anthem for the school year, and it's repeated on the morning announcements, written on the whiteboards, and it's even been seen popping up on stickers that students are receiving from adults on campus. So back to Borba, I first stumbled on this book about seven, eight years ago at Walmart. Uh, I was shopping the bargain bin and the cover caught my eye. I've since read, reread, marked up, given away, repurchased, given away multiple copies to teachers, to friends, to family. Uh, She's also, Michelle Borba, she's also written another book called Thrivers, and I've heard great things about this. I've yet to read it myself, but Thrivers is geared more for middle schoolers. So if you have middle schoolers out there, you might want to also pick up a copy of Thrivers. Now, why Unselfie? As a parent reading this, I appreciated the bite-sized strategies to try at home with my now teenagers. Uh, I have a 15-year-old, I have a 14-year-old, and we are learning together every day. I feel for them though. Of course, there's the obvious struggles of growing up these days, right? Smartphones, social media feeds, but truly the most difficult part about being a kid these days, in my opinion, is growing up in a world without Mr. Rogers. Sure, we have Brene Brown, she's amazing, but nothing beats Mr. Rogers in my book. Babies of the 80s out there, you remember, right? Mr. Rogers taught us, among many things, that, uh, quote, feelings are manageable and mentionable. 
He taught us the song of good feeling of control, and it went something like this. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad, you could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. It's great to be able to stop when you've planned the thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stomp when I want to. I can stomp when I wish. I can stomp, stomp, stomp anytime. Know that there's something inside that helps us become what we can. It was his voice that we heard when Daniel Tiger confessed, it took me so long to get tame. I try to understand how everyone else is working at it. Now, Mr. Rogers was the father of emotional literacy, and it was much more simple back then. What he taught wasn't considered political or polarizing like the terms emotional literacy or social emotional learning are today. So let's get on the same page with Borba on this one and clearly define our terms. On page seven, Borba defines emotional intelligence as, quote, the ability to identify an emotion in yourself and others. She defines emotional literacy as, quote, the thing that motivates a child to care, and it all starts by tuning into feelings. Identifying, understanding, and expressing emotions are the skills kids need to activate empathy, end quote. But how do we teach children to identify, understand, and express emotions? Why do we even need to? Isn't that just innate? Borba on page eight argues that face-to-face -face communication is essential in order to learn about emotions. In fact, she states that face-to-face -face communication is the single best predictor of healthy emotional interaction. Children need to see how those around them are experiencing the world. And let's be honest, children need to see and be seen by those around them, period. But what do they see many times instead of faces? Well, they see the back of the phone, more often than not, the back of the laptop, or maybe at best they see a face on a screen. It's just a fact of life in 2023. We as a society use our phones for so many things. Grocery shopping, texting, planning amazing celebrations for our kids, scheduling appointments for our kids, listening to podcasts so we can connect better with our kids, right? Checking out library books, planning awesome family vacations, all of that. This is all good, worthy of our time and attention, and it's necessary. Yet, the fact still stands, right? Our children are growing up in a culture of still faces. Now, if you don't know what the still face experiment is, you can Google it. You'll find a psychologist from the 70s. His name was Edward Tronick. He was studying the impact of a caregiver simply having a still face when a baby is vying for her attention. The baby does all she can to get the caregiver's attention, think cuteness overload at first, and then slowly the baby becomes upset and eventually is inconsolable, simply due to the fact that her caregiver is non-responsive. Her caregiver is looking at her with the same expression we have on our faces when we're scrolling or reading an email, right? But she's truly not seeing the child. Essentially, the baby is invisible. There is no connection there. So what we learned from that study is it's an innate human need to be seen. Uh, I feel the weight of what is at stake when we don't fight to connect with our kids. It's a battle to be sure to prioritize this with everything else vying for our time and attention. It's the tyranny of the urgent. 
Plus, we're just exhausted, right? Even still, our children need to know we see them. One of our former fourth graders at the school I work at, she wrote this poem, and I got permission to share from the author herself uh, to read it to our teachers this summer when we did an in-service training, and now here on this podcast. It goes like this. I feel like I'm invisible, and really there's no doubt. The only time I'm noticed is when I get called out. Sometimes it's a good reason, but mostly always bad. But when no one listens, it is just too sad. I try to get out of the invisibility cloak, but sometimes when I try, I get a lump in my throat. Some people say it's an awesome superpower, but it's not if you have it hour after hour. I feel like I'm invisible and it's no superpower. And I hope if anyone reads this, they'll know how I feel after. It was really difficult for our teachers' hearts to hear this poem, and believe me, it was even more difficult for my mommy heart to read when my daughter brought it home from school. This poem is one of the reasons I dug into Unselfie in the first place and why I'm doing something so outside of my comfort zone right here uh, with you all. I feel you, I see you as a parent. It is hard. We all know the song, right? There's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. I used to think that song was about a farmer and his wife, but almost 16 years into this parenting gig, I think it's about a mom and a dad trying to love their leaky bucket child and doing all they can think of to fix it. Sometimes parents, teachers, we can't fix it. We just need to keep pouring again and again and again. We need one another. We need these nuggets of wisdom found in bargain book bins, and we need to talk together about these things because our children deserve it. They deserve us to connect with them. Our culture has deemed our children as both the most narcissistic and the most lonely generation. It's no surprise, really, that these two things go hand in hand. So what is the antidote? Borba claims that empathy is essential and we cannot take it for granted. It must be taught. On page 11, Borba says, before children can step into someone else's shoes, which is a phrase we commonly use with, you know, synonymously with empathy, before children can do that work, they must first develop the ability to read nonverbal cues in facial expressions, gestures, posture, and voice tone. So I love the four steps that Borba provides at the end of chapter one. This is pages 17, 18, to help our children learn this skill, to help them build empathy. Step one, she says, stop and tune in. Stop and tune in. Carve out family time where you can all learn to attend to one another using what she calls the 4T rule. No texting, tapping, talking on a cell phone, or viewing TV. For us, our family, this is during dinner. We, by some miracle, still manage to have family dinner together almost every night of the week in our home. No phones allowed. Be present. Disconnect in order to connect. Uh, There's a stat in Chapter 5 later on that Borba shares how simply having a cell phone in the proximity lowers one's empathy. So step one, stop and tune in. Step two, look face to face. Eye contact is how children learn to read people's emotions. So face your child, be at eye level when you communicate. Now there's a caveat here, which is some students have an aversion to looking in the eyes. And so if that's your child, 
You can coach him or her to look at the bridge of the speaker's nose. Another caveat, as my children have grown into the teenage years, car rides together or evening walks have become some of the best facilitators of conversation that I have found. Side by side with my son, especially helpful. Connect. Step three, focus on feelings. Name it. It looks like you're angry. Question it. Do you feel angry? Describe it. I see your hands are clenched into a fist. Another caveat here, husbands, I do not recommend initiating this exercise with your wife. Step four, express the feeling. Normalize this. I feel, mom and dad, I feel excited. Not just the bad things, right? We think, I tend to think, I feel disappointed. I feel sad. I feel upset. But let's also normalize talking about the good things, right? I feel excited. I feel happy. Grandma's coming over. I feel peaceful. I had a great day. I feel content. Our fridge is full. I feel grateful. Our home, <laughs> normalizing these emotions, we used to have something called the danger zone. And this was a term that we would use when we felt three things, tired, hot, and hungry, right? Yes, that's uh, typically we would say I'm mad, but really what else was going on there physically, not just emotionally. So uh, we also had a catchphrase, don't take your anger out on others. Don't put your anger out onto others, right? You can share it. You can talk about it without putting it, throwing it onto someone else. So there's lots of resources out there, parents, if you're looking for ways to teach those different feelings and emotions, right? We kind of uh, keep this, we tend to, you know, keep it to the central five or six, right? Sad, mad. Uh, I'm thinking of Inside Out, right? The main characters there. But uh, there's charts, there's wheels, there's lots of great picture books out there. The larger vocabulary that children have, the more they will learn the nuance of these emotions, how not everything is good or bad or black or white. Uh, I was well into my adulthood before I learned that two feelings can mutually exist at the same time, right? You can feel more than one feeling at the same time. Uh, there's a lot of feelings that make their way into my office at the same time. Students are brought into my office for all sorts of reasons. I'll never forget when I had a student come in refusing to talk. He was on the brink of tears, sulking, frustrated. I told him he didn't have to talk and that I would just be, you know, working and ready and doing my really boring job. And, and after about 30 seconds, he was reluctant but ready to talk. There was nothing else to do. Uh, he said he was in there because he called someone a bully. But he said, they deserved it. So I asked, well, what did the other student do to deserve being called a bully? And he told me, he called me discouraging. And that was really, really mean. And I wasn't expecting that one. So I sat for a minute and then I asked, do you know what discouraging means? And he kind of folded his arms and scowled and he said, yeah, it means I have no courage. And that was really mean. And that's why I called him a bully. So our children... They're on the defense a lot of the time. Remember the invisibility poem there? The only time I'm noticed is when I get called out. All this posture of self-preservation and protection, it's an empathy blocker. We can't assume students know or understand how to solve relational difficulties. And this is really one of the most enjoyable parts of my job. I get to help students learn these skills in my office every day. And here's how I do it. So I like to bring both students in my office uh, after they've had time to cool down, right? And then 
I had the students look at each other. Remember that face-to-face -face connection. So they look at each other and then I let each student know you will have a chance to share your experience, your perspective. I will guide the conversation and each of you will be able to talk without interrupting. So this is key to building empathy here too, right? You'll be validated, your experience is important, you'll get to share it with no interruptions. I then ask, what would you like X student to do differently moving forward? And so the student states their desired change and then I ask the other student, do you feel that's fair? Do you agree to that change? Does it feel achievable? They usually say yes. And then back to the first student, I ask, do you believe him or her? Now this is key. This is empowerment city here. They get to choose. Yes, I believe him. No, I don't. So after that, we flip the script. They reverse roles. They each get to, again, listen to the other perspective. And by the end, I tell them I believe them too and that I know change will take place moving forward. So if you hear this conversation, right, we didn't dwell too much on the incident itself. We try to stay future focused. Also, I don't mandate apologies. I have found that forced apologies build resentment. Almost always there's been a misunderstanding, a sincere misunderstanding, right? He thought discouraging meant you have no courage. You're a coward. That's not what he meant at all. Uh, almost always there's been that misunderstanding and once both students hear from one another the context surrounding the incident, what happened just before the kick or just before the insult occurred, once they hear that their guard usually comes down. That's the part that I can't script and it always takes me by surprise. When I see two frustrated students who entered my office hurt and angry and they leave together in understanding knowing one another a little bit better. Are they best friends? No, I don't ask them to be, right? But through hearing another's perspective, empathy has been established. As we wrap up, if you've read the chapter, you know that Borba gives us lots of ideas. I'm talking 30 plus, I counted them all up. 30 plus ways we can teach our children about emotions. But let's not forget the why behind all of this talk about feelings. It's to build habits of empathy in their hearts. And if a puppy or a baby are not in the cards for your family right now, those are Borba's suggestions, not mine, here are some ways that you might try taken from pages 21 to 22. Watch an old-fashioned silent movie together, look at the facial expressions, or simply turn the sound off and watch a movie or part of a movie in silence and guess what the characters are feeling based off of their expressions. If you don't have younger children in your home, consider serving at your local church nursery or babysit a younger cousin, niece, or nephew, or pull out old baby books and have your children look and identify expressions on their baby selves. Read books about feelings. Two of my favorites, The Way I Feel by Jan and Kane and In My Heart by Joe Wittick. And finally, remember to plan and protect the unplugged family time. Now for the sneak peek, as promised, into our next episode's special guest, I will share a few hints to leave you guessing. He is a talented artist. In fact, he illustrated our school's 22-23 yearbook cover. He is a jujitsu purple belt, and he was voted class clown in high school. 
Hmm, I wonder who that might be. Well, I look forward to connecting again as we talk about chapter two of Unselfie with our special guest. A huge thank you to three people who made this first episode a success. June Brockmeyer for recording our promo video, Taylor McArthur for coaching me along this new journey, and my husband Joe Mason for all the behind the scenes editing work. And a very, very special shout out to my colleagues at Archway Arte, who have been the most excited for me to launch this podcast. I truly work with the best of the best. Until next time, parents, work to build those connections with your kids, one conversation at a time.